2: It looks like a list. There's, there's a list. Yeah. I've checked it thrice. I'm not going any further down that path either.
0: It turns out that the Brits, the, our Royal Air Force, the RAF, uh, is getting in on this whole UAV thing, this whole uh, uh, unmanned aerial vehicle Things, remotely piloted vehicle thing. And there's a picture. So, this is uh, AirDroid News, uh, the blog that covers the whole UAV world. And there's a picture here um, from a few days back of uh, RAF's new toy, as the headline calls it. Um, it's sort of a, I'm sorry, with all res- due respect to my my friends from Great Britain, it does look like a poor man's predator. Um uh, huh. it's uh it's
2: emphasis on poor man.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's uh first of all it's turboprop. Uh, it's not jets. Twin turboprop. Tw- twin twin pusher yeah. turboprop. Twin pusher turboprop. Uh and uh, um, otherwise it's got all the doodads. Uh, it's RAF green, is that? Uh, brown, uh, as opposed to uh, U.S. Air Force gray. Uh, I'm, make, only, I'm making the, up the those only, terms. I don't know if that's yeah, what they're really called. I
2: know British Racing Green, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so we've got that story about UAVs, and then oh, the other one's a crash story. We'll come back to that. Here's my question about UAVs, uh, at least as far as the uh, this British one is concerned. And the Predators sort of got a little bit of this, not quite as dramatic. This unmanned aerial vehicle has up near the nose what what you would think is a canopy it has it it you know it's there's
2: a there's a bulge
0: there's a bulge as if that's where the i'm wondering maybe this was a traditional aircraft that's been like you know they you know
1: put fire sign theater don't toss that dwarf hand me the airplane well, I think it's a really tiny cockpit for the leprechaun. You think that's what it
0: is?
2: Everything you know is wrong. Why
0: are why are UAVs, why are they shaped like, like you know, traditional airplanes? You know, they can be shaped like anything because you don't have well, to they, worry about putting a person in them.
2: Yeah, they can be shaped like anything. And, and if you, you know, looking at the progression or the development of UAVs over time, they've tried a lot of in, innovative uh, uh, uh platforms, plan forms, uh, control uh, configurations, wing and and canard configurations, things of that sort, even tail configurations. And some of them have stuck, some of them haven't. Um, I am just as baffled and bemused as why uh, there appear to be cockpits on these as as you are. One one thought comes to mind, and that is um, at some point, they, in fact, uh, had designed the airframe for uh, um, um, to be flown by a, a human.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but that doesn't mean that um, you know, they had to retain the, the bubble or anything like that. Um, another thought would be you know, maybe that's just an equipment bay and, and you know they got too much equipment or something. I don't know. Maybe it's an antenna of some kind.
1: I'm telling you, got uh, but a pretty, I
2: share pilot. your 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 head <laughs> scratching. You know why why do we happen to have cockpits or they one have of one of, cockpits not really on, a UAV? U- not vehicle. really
1: a UAV. they've got a little guy in there. A little guy in there. A guy in there. This is the castle.
0: Blanky Salesman's down there on
1: say. the ground, and when he moves the joystick on the radio controller in his hand, it sends an electric shock to the leprechaun on the appropriate. <laughs> Side of the body, so that he knows which way to move the stick.
2: What was the movie Capricorn One?
1: What something like that? Yeah,
2: where where they had a moonshot. Yeah, and and right before they they blasted off, they they ran out of money. Right before they blasted off, they grabbed the astronauts out of the capsule and stuck them in a soundstage in Southern California.
0: I yeah I Cap, sounds like Capricorn One. I think that's I think what it was it's Capricorn called. One. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, I was going to say this was uh, piloted by the Casablanca pilots. You know what I'm talking about there? Oh, never mind. Now we're getting a real movie trivia here.
2: Okay. Now, like, I don't remember – I remember, the, obviously, the movie. I don't remember seeing the pilots.
0: There's a that. legendary scene from Casablanca. Uh, you know, uh, um, if you don't if you do not do now, if you're not – anyways, at the end, when Bogey and Lauren Bacall are at the airport and she wants mm-hmm. to stay and he's sending her away and the whole thing, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Um And in the background...
1: Ingrid Bergman, but go ahead.
0: Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. And so in the background, there's a DC-3 getting ready
2: for her to climb over. It's not a DC-3. It's a a Lockheed. Work with me here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it should not surprise you to know that I have this DVD. I have this
0: DVD. Well, <laughs> whoever the actress was and whatever the airplane was, it's in the background. And in fact, it was not a full-size version of that airplane. It was a model, a sort of, I don't know, half or three-quarters scale of the airplane. But they wanted to have real humans in the cockpit moving so that it would look real. But if you put regular humans in this three-quarter scale, whatever airplane it was, it would have looked foolish. And so they got little people, midgets or dwarfs or whatever. All right, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I,
1: I borrowed them from the set of The Wizard
2: of
0: Oz. And, I was going to
2: say, be, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.
0: Yeah. And so that's, the, they were the pilots of that Casablanca airplane and apparently Dave thinks they're also the pilots of this RAF UAV.
1: If you you blow this RAF thing up and look at the left side you can almost see the outline of a little face peering out from behind the shroud.
2: In other UAV news... And if you blow it way up, you can see the control lines trailing off into the distance.
0: (laughs) In other UAV news, uh, so one of the Predator, now we're coming back to the States here, um, a Predator unmanned aerial vehicle crashed uh, at uh, something called the Southern California Logistics Airport. I'm not sure if that's a military...
2: Victorville, yeah, it's a commercial slash military. It's a military-industrial complex. How's that? Yeah.
0: Crashed around 11 a.m., just off the runway, da-da-da-da. In some ways, this is just sort of, you know, who knows what caused it here. My question, the question that came to me out of this story is wondering who investigates these kind of things. The uh, the story suggests that the FAA will investigate, but uh, it's just the mainstream <laughs> media, and who the heck knows whether they know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, forget UAV for a second. Um, military air crash, air, you know, aircraft, Crashing on non-military property, does NTSB get involved in that kind of thing?
2: Not in the least. Yeah, no,
0: I would have thought. I wouldn't have thought. No. Yeah, no. No, no that's one of the military investigations
2: own. In fact, you know, military, um, um, you know, unless it's a very political investigation, there's, there's certainly been episodes of that. But generally speaking, military does a pretty good job uh, yeah. of doing their own investigations. Do the, My question is, yeah. does the the pilot of this have to go take a pee test?
0: <laughs> Keep in mind, there were probably three pilots, uh, and they it, were. All, well, is he a,
2: going to put it on his resume?
1: Yeah, and I balled one up on the runway, but I walked away without a scratch. Yeah, because
0: yeah. they were all in a in a container in uh, Denver or someplace in Texas or something. I don't know. Uh, probably Utah. That's where all the good phone lines are. <laughs> is that what it is? How does that work, by the way? Omaha, Omaha. Sorry. How does that work, by the way? So apparently, the UAVs that are being flown in Afghanistan are being piloted by crews that are someplace in the U.S. Uh, uh-huh.
2: Yeah, some of them are here in Wichita. Uh, they, ha- they have to have a really, really good Internet connection. <laughs> yeah, unlike They're us. They're not going to do it from Hidden River.
0: <laughs> unlike us occasionally. Your connection's been great, knock on wood, lately. Yours has been terrific. So...
2: Uh.
1: <laughs>
0: Okay, well, that's, now you've just screwed up all the, yes, all of the (laughs) signal processing is now screwed up here. Uh, Welcome, folks, to episode 186 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, recording this episode on Monday evening, May 10th, 2010, and uh, let me say hi to my friends here joining me in the virtual hangar. Uh, First of all, Dave Higdon is out there, he's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. Stand by while I make this airplane over on uh, the South Pacific, turn a little to the left. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. See and avoid, about you know. a couple of keystrokes here. I'll be back on course. Yeah, that's right. Uh,
0: so, I'm sorry. We, before, we, before we started recording, you were telling us about the weather in Wichita. Did it actually storm there or not?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah big time. That's right. Big you lost
0: time. your electricity. We, you could disappear on us at any moment, is what you were saying.
1: Well, it's cool now. Uh, the sun is out. There's a sucker hole coming through. Mm-hmm and we're supposed to get more of this through the evening but yeah we had about a level 2 level 3 borderline level 3 come through here uh oh i'm going to say about 5:30 central daylight thunderstorm right not tornado Thunder, okay th- right. thunderstorm yeah no that's an ef number nice uh, see. okay, F, yeah. okay. Uh, level level 2 to level not not quite level 3 uh we got bodacious rain uh like about an inch and a quarter in about fifteen minutes or so, yeah uh had a couple of really good neighborhood lightning strikes. The lights flickered and went down for about three or four minutes came back up uh I'm going to have to pick sticks up out of the yard before it gets mowed again uh but that's not unusual this time of year and we're at just about the end of a twenty four hour the first twenty four hours of what's supposed to be about two and a half days of this stuff, so yeah rock and roll
0: yeah i know apparently it's a bit, pretty big line it's a I I I wonder if this is the same line that's extending up into michigan that's giving aquacamp some problems i you know, would maybe, not yeah. be surprised yeah, yeah. anyways yeah. more on that a little bit later on also here in the hangar this evening is jeb burnside who's talking to us from somewhere near sarasota florida hi jeb how are you tonight
2: i'm well i'm well uh uh relaxing few days and uh getting my work done and uh uh, looking forward to taking a few days off and uh, playing with motorcycles and whatever yeah. else strikes my fancy. Yeah, anymore. you
0: got a weekend of travel coming up here. You're going to be zipping I around do, yeah. using your personal aircraft to uh, its right. best advantage
2: over the weekend. i, I've, well, I used it to good advantage last weekend. So
0: That's right. I did get my. Place. I did get some of my little uh, stalker messages from you uh, <laughs> about you. I still feel guilty about those. But I haven't well, you unsubscribed. Know, so introduce, so it tells you something. introduce yourself. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, and I'm Jack and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the UCAP Summer Headquarters, high atop Lookout Point in unseasonably
1: cold, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Lookout! It's damn... Look <laughs> I lived on Lookout Mountain for a while. Yeah, before we leave this Predator crash thing yeah. behind, you know, there's a lot of pressure here in the States to open up more and more airspace to these uh, unmanned vehicles. Uh, you know, the that don 't have an actual human on board kind of stuff, whatever is controlling whether they 're autonomous or remotely piloted doesn 't really matter uh, and there 's been some pushback and people some people have been critical of the pushback that oh you know we 're not taking the security issue seriously enough we 're not taking the uh, uh, you know border security seriously enough. Uh, I don't think these folks take the airspace situation seriously enough right. and the potential risk of something like this happening with another aircraft involved. So my answer to that criticism is suck my nose till my head caves in. Thank you.
0: Yeah, the two paragraphs from this uh Predator Crash story, predators are used for intelligence gathering and attack missions. The remotely piloted aircraft also have peaceful uses. <laughs> NASA and the US Forest Service have tested a Predator aircraft to improve data collection for fighting wildfires, I guess. Okay.
2: Oh, they had they had to do that to say that they have been testing it for peaceful uses.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just had to, you know, check that box.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, had, they needed they needed that graph and so there That's it right. is right. right Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've done. Yeah. Sure. Uh-huh.
0: Well, we're definitely ramping up here for AirVenture. I bet just about every week we're going to have a new air venture story. And David has called our attention to one here. Uh, David, you want to tell us what this whole auction thing is all about? This sounds familiar. I've heard this someplace else recently. But...
1: Well, it seems to be the, the latest new thing to uh, uh, attract people to come to events or give people an expanded opportunity to participate. We saw live auctions uh, sell... Uh, I don't know, seven or eight airplanes, I think it was that uh John Burton told us at uh Sun and mm-hmm. Fun back last month. And uh the Spirit of Aviation auction is gonna be part of this year's uh air venture at Oshkosh. Uh the EAA setting it up. It's gonna be Saturday, july thirty first, twenty ten. If you wanna sell, if you wanna buy, uh I think it might be fun just to, you know kind of cruise around and and look at the uh, tags on the airplanes that are going to go up on the auction block. I'm not sure I want to buy one that way, but that's just me. I'm old-fashioned. But, yeah, it's an opportunity. I cannot tell you in any great detail about the fees and how it works because uh, I figured anybody was interested enough in it who is in a position of thinking about buying or selling uh, they 're going to find that out it 's going to be on a sliding scale uh but here 's an opportunity uh maybe find the airplane of your dreams
0: yeah well that 'll be kind of cool um there 's just there 's going to be a bunch of interesting things at Oshkosh this summer one thing that we 've been hearing we heard a lot about during the winter and spring, and then it got a little quiet but uh this whole gathering of d c threes is going to be has the potential to be awesome um they have just collected a huge huge yeah. uh roster of DC3s that are not only going to appear and be on the ground at Air but they're going to have an organized fly in apparently they're going to come in as a as a group which is just going to be i mean cuz we're not talking like 3 we're talking like 20
1: no they're talking like 40 40 yeah right yeah. and uh, uh, they've got more than 40 signed up uh to come and uh they filled up all the slots for the mass arrival. and, and it, It's going to be interesting, that and a big gathering of uh, of uh, B-17s, flying fortresses. They're supposed to have six or seven, eight of those. So yeah, it's going to be...
2: Uh, you won't be able to swing a dead cat without hitting somebody with a multi-engine ticket.
1: <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. All right, so
0: we're going to get more. We're going to get progressively more and more excited about AirVenture uh, as the as the next few weeks progress. but. Uh, but maybe that'll do it for tonight. We'll see. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. All right. Hey, this is really intriguing. Okay, so just last episode, we talked about the fact that they had extended the search for Air France 447, the Air France uh, airliner that mysteriously crashed into the uh, Atlantic Ocean, and they had been unsuccessful at locating the bulk of the uh, the uh, debris, if you will. Um, uh, and and we were speculating on how long they would go before they gave up the search. Well, within days of that, they've announced that they have apparently generally located the data recorders. Um, they, yeah. they haven't yeah. actually put their quote-unquote hands on them yet. But uh, they, uh, they did something that I think is really cool. According to the story we've seen... Um, so the problem they had was that they were running all these sonar things and all these radio detection and searching and searching and searching, and they couldn't hear the the pings from the black boxes, the signal, the the, the you know signal here I am come find me signal right. from these right. black boxes, and um, and that sort of made sense to us because the water's so deep and the area is so big and there's hills and it's just pretty crazy. Well, what they apparently did was they took the recordings of these uh, of these sonar searches and radio searches and whatnot. They took the recordings and they brought them home. And I can only imagine that they applied some major state-of-the-art signal processing, maybe even mm-hmm. something military-grade, uh, threw a couple of supercomputers at it, speculating only, but that's my guess, right? And, and they managed to hear the pings from the black boxes. And suddenly they then were able to correlate that to the locations of where the the devices you know, where the search was going at that particular moment and they believe they've found the wreckage now. They believe they've found the uh, the black boxes, or they know the area where they
2: are. Localize the area, perhaps right. would be the better phrase. But yeah.
0: you know, if they're no longer searching the entire South Atlantic Ocean, all right, this is well that makes it a whole different thing. I think it
2: does. Um, now, there's you're a couple our expert of other, th- yeah, you're our expert. Well, here, I don't right? know if I'm the expert here, but a couple of other things going on here. Um, one is. Um, some some news reports coming have would, one I'm looking at from today actually. Uh, French investigators said Monday that an Air France jet flying uh, to Paris from Rio may have made a a U-turn for some unexplained reason before it crashed in the Atlantic nearly a year ago. That's the lead graph from a, a story um, um, on um, Expatica.com. Um, the the upshot of that is that. Uh, Uh, The area that they are looking in for the black boxes is an area that is south and west of the last known position of the aircraft. And and, uh, south and west, therefore, of the areas in which they were putting a lot of their search assets a year or so ago. Um, No one knows why that... the that area that seems to be the most likely uh, uh, loca- location for the black boxes would indicate a turn. We can speculate, and we can speculate that they flew into a thunderstorm and and hooked a, hooked a Yui, as it were, to try to get out of it. Um, but uh, we, we won't know for certain until, unless, the black boxes are recovered. Um, a lot of of data uh um those of you uh and, and Luca I'm kind of talking to you here um those of you who are familiar with the website P. Prune uh probably already know what I'm talking about but there's a lot of uh, information flowing through peprune um, um, some some very interesting maps that apparently are coming from uh uh the searchers uh some some interesting uh um, details about the airplane, uh, all kinds of interesting data coming out of this now. The, the, the um, uh, people who have been involved in, in monitoring this and, and talking about it and even speculating about it over the last year or so uh, are really coming back to life here. And uh, it's just, to me, you know, uh, being kind of a, a tech geek and, and an airplane crash geek and all that kind of thing, this is all just highly interesting. Yeah. Uh, some seabed maps and, and, and um, um, depth charts and things like that that, uh, I mean, y- you cannot imagine, it, it's difficult to imagine a more remote place on the globe.
1: Mm.
0: Interesting. It You're really going to have to send is. me a couple of those uh, links, specific URLs. Yeah. Um, well, just, Pete
2: just, prune, just dot, uh
0: Yeah, peeprune, it's uh, the professional org,
2: and then yeah. the, the front menu will have, you know, has links to the more active threads and Click on the the more active thread for four four seven, and then click on the the last page link, and then start working your way backwards. That's yeah, what I do.
0: Yeah. P prune for those not in the know is the uh, professional pilots rumor network. It's a, a very unofficial, right? It's not associated with any particular.
2: Extremely unofficial. Yeah. and 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 highly um, uh, moderated. Okay. Um,
0: and it is p p r u n e dot org, and uh, so. so. You
1: know what fascinates me about this idea? Yeah is it the uh the discussions shortly after this happened uh at times centered around why you know why the flight crew kept going in the face of weather on the assumption that they kept going in the face of weather uh if it turns out that in fact they did hook a one eighty and wow exercised one of flying one on one's lessons yeah confronted with ugly turn around That's right uh and Still got caught. Yeah, uh, uh, you know storms don't don't behave necessarily in soldier-like marches across uh, the landscape or the seascape. Sometimes they explode around yep. the line and expand out in both directions at once. Uh, so it, it it is kind of in, intriguing that there's a, a whole industry almost built up and speculating about what these you know what 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 happened and things like this and it's more than willing to speculate absent any verifiable information whatsoever Mm -hmm.
0: so i take it jeb that when when this first happened we were all pouring over or um the little bit of radio data that we had gotten um from the aircraft and i guess i'm that direction of flight was not one of the parameters that
2: well um, i don't recall offhand um, what one talking of the, about the ICAST parameters messages
1: talking right? about the A cars
2: A cars messages ACARS, uh, one of the parameters of the A car's messages as I recall and and you kinda caught me a little flat footed on that question, but as I recall one of the parameters is in fact a lot long. Um, so well, you does, have if you have lat-long, of course, you can determine, you know, what the direction, if you have a succession of lat-long fixes anyway, you can right. certainly determine the direction in which the aircraft is flying and the speed with which it is, is covering the distance. Um, the uh, Here's the problem, though, and, and I'm going to probably make a butchery of this explanation, but um, when you're out over the, the, the equatorial Atlantic, um, you're not doing line of sight to a to a microwave antenna uh um in in the back forty you're doing uh, uh you're transmitting to a satellite and um, depending on the technology of the satellite antenna on the airplane it's either steered electronically or it 's steered mechanically um It has to be steered to to hit the satellite given the the various attitudes the airplane is going to find itself in even in straight and level flight so um somehow, of course, that antenna is steered, and it probably gets its steering cues from the uh um, the air data computers on the airplane. well, one of the first few messages some of the first few messages transmitted via a cars had to do with uh, uh um, not so much failure but uh um um the the uh heading and attitude reference uh devices tripping offline because they were getting bad data. And that's what kind of handed this whole uh, um, um, soggy sandwich, shall we call it, to the flight crew. Um, so we don't know. You know, they they may well have turned, but the satellite uh, tracking device or the, the the antenna steering device may not have been able to steer the antenna to hit the satellite during the turn, during the turbulence, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, well so there
1: the, may be some of the, more data that's going on than we know. Some of the uh... ACARS, uh messages. Well, I think all the ACARS messages that have been made public have been deciphered uh, at different times by different people. and a couple of things that come back on them, you know, the, repeatedly uh, are, are the multiple failures that the aircraft suffered. Right. Autopilot right. system disengaged uh... autopilot message warning light Then the flight control computer failed then warning flags on the primary flight displays of both the captain and co-pilot uh... then the rudder exceeds the limits of of travel for normal flight uh... oh my god you're talking about an unmitigated cascading failure scenario here where suddenly the guys are you know, back to backup attitude instruments if indeed they hadn't failed too, and the flight controls are behaving uh in a fashion that uh it's not due to their own control inputs, yeah it's going to be something too i mean yeah. I, I, I much yeah when they when they decipher this one uh, you know let's really keep our fingers crossed that they find that they find the flight data recorder because uh, that's going to be yeah. a digital recorder it's going to have a lot yeah. of channels uh if it's survived and is. The information is extractable. Uh, it's going to answer a lot of questions and clear up a whole lot of the mystery on this. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Obviously, Obviously we'll keep following this. Yeah. 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 Obviously, we'll keep following
0: this. Okay. Um, interesting blog entry uh, in uh, the Let's Go Flying blog, which is part of the uh, AOPA family of blogs. Um, a airplane uh, kid, airplane kid uh, uh, Evan Kruger, uh, a.k.a. airplane kid, uh, posted a, uh, a, a, a a posting, a blog entry, called What's in Your Flight Bag? And he just talks a little bit about some of the items in his flight bag, and they're very kind of, as you'd expect, uh, talks about his flight bag. He's got a headset, a logbook, an uh, E6B calculator, uh, an afd uh, a flashlight some sunglasses and that's as far as he goes i I just kind of was wondering i was curious so you guys uh, and i'll talk about what's in my flight bag not that it's all that remarkable but but you guys have been flying for like a million hours and uh you know got it down to a science i'm curious what you guys carry with you
1: Uh, let me take a look here sonny (laughs) what should the old flight bag? a
2: live credit card yeah that's
1: right
0: <laughs> That's what a friend of mine used to tell me, a much more experienced traveler years and years ago, and I was all nervous about going on a trip and he's I'm saying, Oh, do I have everything? Do I have anything? He says, Do you have your airline ticket? Yes, do you have your credit card? Yes, you're good. Don't worry about it. And
1: uh Yeah, so, you, as long as you got a big enough credit limit, you can replace anything else yeah, that you exactly. it's find exactly. yourself lacking. Yeah. That doesn't um, work in flight though. Yeah.
0: But now maybe you guys don't you know flight bag isn't as important to you guys because you you well, Jeb, you own your airplane, and Dave, you did own your airplane, and so you kind of leave things on board. But uh, you know
1: are, are there Actually, any- Actually, no, I lugged that puppy back and forth. Uh you did.
0: And what sort of things were in are in your flight bag?
1: I I am looking at it right now. It's here in the in, in the uh in the office with me. Uh there's uh two Headsets, my primary ANRs, uh, uh, a, a set of uh, Sennheisers, uh, and an old pair of uh, David Clark's that I converted. ANR, they're my backups. I got extra batteries for both headsets. I've got two flashlights, uh, two red and blue lens flashlights, and then I've got a regular. Uh, well, it's now an LED uh, white light flashlight that uh, I used to walk around the airplane with at night, uh, place for all my charts. I've got two E6Bs, one electronic and one manual. Uh, I've got the uh, uh, two of the little yellow scales that AOPA sends when they sure. send your membership. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those are great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I find a lot of uses for those puppies. Uh, all my IFR and VFR uh, paper material. Uh and that's gonna go away here shortly because I I think I'm gonna replace it with the EFB I've been flying with recently. Yeah. Uh you know, I'm gonna try to arrange to buy it and keep it. Um uh, let's see, what else? Uh foam rubber earplugs for when I'm around airplanes and don't need the headphones on or do That's don't want a good
0: one. I like that. On. I yeah, that's a good thing to have in your bag. Go an ahead.
1: orange an orange vest. Oh. uh... It the EAA photo on it. No, uh-huh. no, it doesn't. Uh, no, it, uh, it, uh, <laughs> it used to say property of some highway department, but uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. So, so <laughs> the orange vest is primarily for when I land someplace and want to take pictures, and they say, "Well, we we'd let you do that, but you're supposed to have an orange vest on."
0: And, and you whip it out, and they go, oh, oh, crap. i got
1: one of those." <laughs> okay, we're good. Thanks. <laughs> Don't ask for permission again.
0: The orange vest—I would imagine the orange vest is something. The old joke is that you can sneak in anywhere if you had a clipboard and a hard hat. True, uh, you know. And uh, I wonder if the orange vest does the same thing. You know, people will thought he must be along there. He's got an orange vest, and
1: uh, and I got a couple of a uh, couple of these little bags for uh, people to throw up in, or me to uh, uh, answer nature's call. In I've got two. Uh, the uh, cheap giveaway uh, you get them at trade show rain ponchos right uh, that 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 covers most of the stuff that how you know, big? oku batteries boku batteries yeah how big is yeah. this bag what's uh uh it's 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 a good size it was a sporties uh my in-laws got me years ago and uh let's put it this way the main compartment is big enough to hold the uh, uh, bound chart books flat on mm-hmm. the bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, I have... In a handheld. I for, don't want to forget the handheld.
0: Yep. So I've got my handheld. bunch of pens and pencils. Hello? Uh, you still there?
2: Yeah, you just went away for a
0: second. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Oh,
2: oh,
0: oh. Here, am I back? Dead, yeah. Am I back now? Yeah. All right. You know, so you know what happened? I'm leaning over here. to, to, to You unplugged to, yourself. I did. I leaned over to, to explore my flight bag, and I unplugged myself from the side of the computer. So I don't know what it sounded like, but momentarily there, we were talking through the—, uh, through the uh, microphone on my laptop which we've actually done before with not great yeah. results
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't great this time either <laughs> yeah
0: okay all right so let's see i got i don't know i've, I've got a bunch of things stashing here I've, I've only i have i think i only have one headset in here i've got a knee board. i've got an afd which is actually expired uh i have my uh my flight guide uh, for the uh, Volume 3, Eastern States, the Flight Guide, Airport, and Frequency Manual. Uh, I've got uh, a bunch of sectionals here. Hopefully at least one of them is within its date. It hasn't expired. Um, What else do I have here? I actually have a notebook pad, which I I was looking for one of those the other day. There's one. Um, That's pretty much... The thing that's most notable with my flight bag um, is the bag itself um i have i just recently got uh one of these uh, bright line bags um
1: mm-hmm.
0: which i just you know and i'm a i'm a bag person i love
1: these you're a contain- bag person i
0: am yeah i i, I love containers i never oh met-
1: boy there's a straight line worth i know, playing I know. With all night
0: go ahead you keep working on that um but, uh, you know, I've never met a bag I didn't like, and
2: uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
1: don't have to do anything. He's
2: going to dig the hole himself, just uh, all we have to do is stand by and wear an orange vest and a hard hat.
0: <laughs> Anyways, all right. Well, I'm trying to give Brightline a plug here, because I really love this bag. Um, and, uh, and so... Uh, uh, that's I like the brightline bag. It's got all kinds of great customized pockets for aviation type things. It was designed specifically to be a, Anyways, all right. <laughs> um, it,
2: it's funny yeah. though you ask about flight bags. Yeah. Cause I'm 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 in my office. Yeah. I'm looking at two different flight bags. One was my father's. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I dug through a month or so ago to pull out an old jet book, um, and, um, and it's some very interesting items I, I found in there, and I'm gonna. Uh, Put that jet book back in it and and put the bag away and and come back and revisit it another 10 years or so just for grins. But uh, I've got my other one. Now, both of these bags, uh, and I use the word bag and put it in quotes, these are really catalog cases. So they're, you know, about a foot and a half high and about a half a foot wide and about two feet deep. And they're hard-sided and, you know, they, they flip open and all this kind of thing. Right. This and, was the uh,
0: traditional carrying case for all of the jet yeah. charts, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the line yeah. pilot's chart
2: case. Exactly, exactly. And I, I used to have one of those. It, I still have it, actually. It's, I don't use it anymore. It's it's about six feet from me here in my office. Um, out in the hangar, I've got two or three bags containing various, uh, uh, you know, in cockpit stuff. Um, you know, a couple of things you guys did not mention: handheld uh, nav com, or handheld com radio. Um, I, you know, the, the, somewhere in my paperwork on my airplane, it says that I have to carry the owner's manual to my Garmin 530. It has to be in the airplane. So it's in the airplane somewhere. Really? Is, that yeah. to,
0: is that for it to be legal for IFR? That's,
2: that's part of the, uh, the, uh, the, SD, the field approval STC process. Yeah, it, it has to be in the airplane for some reason. I don't know why. Um, you know, it's not like I'm going to, you know, sit down and read it while I'm shooting an approach or anything. But um so there's there's that. Um I've got um my flashlights. I've got a flashlight on the pedestal there just beneath the uh beneath the instrument panel. It's uh, clipped in there. I've got a that's just a um a mini mag light with two double A batteries in it. I've got a uh three D cell mag light stuck in the the seat pocket behind the pilot seat. I use it for um, you know, when I really want some light. Mainly I use it at night to to check the tip tank fuel levels, make sure that the tip tanks are feeding Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm on a long flight at night.
0: And, and uh, just to clarify, that's because there's sort of a visual indicator you, on, yeah, on the yeah, inboard uh, side. A sight, of these.
2: a sight gauge, if you will, yeah. uh, built into the fiberglass tip tanks. The, that little sight gauge is not painted or primed or anything, so it's a little bit translucent. You, you don't and actually
0: you, climb out under the wing in flight. I don't
2: actually. I don't do my my um, um, James Shatner um <laughs>
0: William Shatner,
1: oh,
2: but that's right. Williams, excuse Jim William Kirk. Kirk. Jim Kirk. Jim William Kirk. William Shatner. Uh, I don't do my I don't do my uh, um uh William William Kirk uh, impression. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tiberius, just plane.
1: call him Tiberius.
2: Tiberius, yeah. Um a lot of double A batteries. I have dub, more double A batteries in my airplane than some convenience stores. hmm well, you know, um, and I'm glad you brought this up because yeah. I'm
1: looking at the, the flight bag with all these uh, AA double A batteries. And realizing that I need to make my flight bag match my camera bag, uh-huh. which has no disposable batteries in it uh-huh it's got two different kinds of battery chargers and about twenty four to twenty eight rechargeable double a 's and all the batteries in my flight bag are disposables, and there's no charger. I need to rectify that because yeah, that's that's it, yeah. it, 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 Buying throwaway batteries is just nuts today. Yeah.
0: Well, it's 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 expensive and it's bad for the environment.
2: Yeah, oh, it, it's just nuts. Like I said, yeah. yeah. Posted notes are, are a very valuable thing, especially if you're an instrument pilot. Oh, um, yeah. because uh, if you have a gyro failure, you have a vacuum system failure, and I've got these these things too—the little suction cup uh, thing. I was just going to say,
1: story. you can, how many of those little yeah.
2: black circle things? I, have I got. Three or four of those scattered around the airplane or the hangar or flight bag or something like that. Post-it notes are great for writing stuff down. You know, hey, who to thunk it? Um, um, but they're also great for pasting over a, a, an instrument to sim- either simulate its failure or uh, after it's failed so that you know that, you know, I don't really want to look at that instrument right now. Right. Um, let's see, what else? Um, the big thing is… is um, um, a uh, Y adapter for the cigarette lighter in the panel, <laughs> yeah. So that I can plug in both the 396 and the phone and play back, you know, uh, tunes over the phone and keep it powered up. So I have a full phone you know, when I land. Mm-hmm. Um, charts, yeah, out the wazoo. Um, I, I've, I've got um, I'm, I'm doing the um, the air charts thing now, so I have every low altitude in route chart for the entire U.S. and the Bahamas. Uh, in a book and it's always that, on board that that's uh, what
1: lays flat in mine
2: yeah and uh, you know of course i've got the the q1 uh with all the approach plates on it um so I, i'm not going to get lost mm-hmm. what about uh, what about
0: tools could, i have one of these uh one of the, the tall thin uh sampling uh containers yeah, that yeah. has a screwdriver in the bottom uh, Yeah, so. i
2: have i have uh, uh, a small toolbox that i stick up under the back seats um, that has uh, you know no real rhyme or reason to it, and I can certainly spend a day and go through it and try to figure out you know what every you know do I need to carry all of that, but I've got a few sockets and, and a variety of screwdrivers and and some wrenches and things like that, uh, which is really kind of of show I think more than anything because if something really does break uh, on a ramp somewhere, it's the live credit card that's going to get me home. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I, I've got to, talk about talking about, talk about fuel samplers, um, I've got the GATS jar, which is, uh, uh, about a pint-sized plastic jar with screens at the top and, um, and a probe that, that fits into, um, uh, uh, fuel, um, uh, um, fuel sumps, and, um, you, you know, drain the fuel into it and then look at it and then you dump it, uh, through the screen, you dump it back into the tank and that saves, uh... You know, dripping gas on the ramp or on the grass or whatever. Um, I've got a Zeus tool to open the uh, the cowling, um, uh, cowling on the Bonanza. A Zeus tool? Zeus tool. Zeus tool. D Z U S is the uh, is the is the spelling. Uh, I don't. I'm probably butchered the pronunciation, but uh, it's a, a Snap On uh, tools item, and it's specifically it's big screwdriver with a rounded blade is basically what it comes down to um that uh allows you to to it fits the, the uh slots in the Zeus Zeus fittings that which are quarter turn fasteners and that's I have four of them on each cowling half. The cowling on a bonanza folds up uh, from the center and you can lift both sides. You can use a screwdriver but it, it's uh, it's not the most ideal situation. So I you know opted to spend the thirty bucks for the Zeus tool from Snap on. Um I got another flashlight, you know, in the in the baggage door i 'm um, not going to run out of flashlights um, yeah. um, pick, pick an item it 's probably either in the airplane or um, um, you know I used to carry cheese crackers in, in, in you know just had a, had a package of cheese crackers sitting in the airplane, so whenever I got hungry, I had something to munch on
0: well you 're kidding i there were especially on longer flights, um, I carry ginger snap cookies. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I find them very good for uh, s- settling your stomach if you start to get a mm-hmm. little chewy.
1: Right, chewy crazy. granola bars and bottled water. Mm-hmm. They always went into
2: one of the compartments meant to hold a headset.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. So. Right. So, so uh, only you know headsets and, and um, um, <sighs> patch cords for the for the phone and or iPod to you know feed into the audio system. Um, E6B, uh, checklist, obviously got to, got to have a checklist. I've got the POH stuck between the back two seats. Fire extinguishers is on board, of course. Um,
0: so how uh, often do you have to like ask one of your passengers to leave the airplane, you know, for weight and
1: balance reasons? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, um, we just make
1: short trips. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if there's one thing that I've never seen on a flight bag that I'd love to see. Yeah. Is a convenient anchor for strapping it to the front seat belt or having a way to plug this front seat belts into the corresponding opposites on a flight bag. So you could put the puppy down there next to you. Snap the belt fixtures into the flight bag, and thus be assured that it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. when you get stuck in the wrong place, and you get weightless often enough that the flight bag ultimately upchucks all of its contents <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I i did that in smooth air first time I was checking out in a bonanza this was a long time ago let's just put that. it that was an a thirty six bonanza and um i had my my catalog case flight bag, and i had it behind the seats this was as i recall this was not a club seating uh, uh aircraft it was just uh configure all six seats facing forward and um he says all right let's see a stall so i you know pull the power off drop the gear drop flaps slow 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 pitch up, stall wham i you know full forward on the yoke and and uh um, you know, added power, and everything in the cabin flew back to the aft bulkhead. Uh-huh. Okay, every everything that wasn't strapped down, including my flight bag and most of its contents. Um, <laughs> it was it was ugly. Yeah. He,
1: well, I, I, after, I, I, the,
2: at, I think I think the next thing the instructor said well was something like, "Well, let's try that again." <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I I got stuck in weather once where I had remembered to strap down the O2 bottle because the forecast was for some lumpy parts on the route and I was going to go high to try to stay above the worst of the garbage. So I got the O2 bottle strapped to the back of the right front seat and it had its own straps and I got them all secured and I got to thinking, flight bag... Probably should be strapped down too, so I jury rigged a way to tie it down with the seat belts on the front seat. So the only thing that didn't move on the weather encounter were the oxygen bottle and the flight bag itself. Uh, everything that was in the flight bag, a little bag of extra cannulas and masks that comes with the O2 system, uh, right. it was hanging on the O2 bottle, uh, I found it the next day back on the hat shelf. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: and I got to thinking about how many times we went negative G's before the bag was empty and how many dents I would have had in the airplane if the O2 bottle had been loose.
2: Right, right. I typically um, I have a gap between the two back seats that is just about right to cram my uh, twenty-two, my tall, skinny, uh, twenty-two foot O2 bottle. Yeah, you and I both got the same two kind of, of bottles. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: um. Mine came in this uh-huh. really nice padded zipper case uh-huh. with straps and uh-huh. hooks and little things to tie it to. Uh
2: huh.
1: And when I, when when we bought it, Annie picked it out. Uh, yeah. Rick Lee uh, Mountain High I sold it to us. Uh-huh. Rick, my old hang gliding community buddies and I said, "Wow, uh, all this really nice workmanship." Love the bag; it's going to make it easy to carry around. And he goes, "Well," he said, "Don't forget these; these are the tie down straps." And I kind of going, "Tie down straps?" And he goes, "Son, you got to have tie down straps."
2: I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked you didn't know that going in, but
1: well, I, I hadn't. Owned an O2 system before and right. had never really thought about it, and wasn't yet flying in the kind of conditions that would even lend itself to inadvertent encounters with, oh, I screwed up weather.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, uh, I, I I used to, I have the same rig as for, for my oxygen tank. I have that case, you know, and uh, the straps and everything like that to go with it. And I used to I used to just leave it mounted um, uh, to the seats or to the pilot seat, so it was always there. Yeah. But um, that was the old seats. And I, you know, when I redid the interior a few years back, I spent like a grand a piece on getting these seats recovered and restuffed and everything like that. And <clears throat> as I was cleaning out the airplane to take it to the interior shop, and uh, you know, took the the oxygen uh, um, bottle. Uh, uh, Bag case off the seats and just saw the you know the indentations that it, the strap left behind. I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to reinstall this, and I haven't.
1: That would have been a great opportunity. I just opportunity leave the, the bottle so, so on some extra loops to put the bottle. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
0: You were, uh, I think Jeb, you were talking about flashlights. A, yeah. good, a good friend of mine likes to tell the story of uh, he was he was taking a check ride. It was one of his advanced check rides. It might have been like his CFI check ride or something like that. And uh, and so the examiner at one point during the, uh, I don't know, at some point said, uh, you know, w- wanted to, you know, check what he would do in a dark, you know, emergency situation. And he said, uh, he says, well, what would you do if all the lights went out suddenly? And my friend reaches into his flight bag and pulls out a flashlight. And the, ins- the point the instructor wanted to make was, what if you didn't have a flashlight? So the, inst- the instructor, the examiner, I should say, um, took away his flashlight and said, uh-huh. okay, now what would you do, all right? And my friend reached into the bag and pulled out another flashlight, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and the examiner goes, and the examiner kind of like, you know, she, you know, grabs the second flashlight and says, okay, now what are you going to do, all right? And he reached, my friend reached into his bag and pulled out another flashlight, right? Uh-huh. And, and after about four or five flashlights, all right, the examiner goes, how many flashlights do you have in there? How many more flashlights do you have? And my friend said, like, I got two more, I think. All right. And the examiner <laughs> says, no, no, wait a minute. All right. All right, imagine you have no flashlights. What would you do? But uh, my friend is Yeah, there,
1: there's, a, there's, a, there's a point in that landing with no lights exercise. It, it's really interesting to do it, too. Yeah. 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 yeah, so
0: anyways. Well, that's interesting. I'm going to start a, a, a thread in the forums. Uh, inviting listeners to tell us what's in their flight bag, uh, I think it's kind of interesting and educational. I, I've just listening to you guys; I've gotten a couple of ideas of things that I want to add. So, and we uh,
2: haven't even we haven't even gotten to firearms and ammunition yet. <laughs>
0: I was going to stay flares, away from that.
1: first aid <laughs> <eight> kits. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. All right. Da, 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 da,
1: da. I hear nothing. Survival see nothing. care. Yeah. We haven't gotten to the. Of yeah. course, that's not in the flight bag.
2: Right? Well, that, yeah. I mean, you know, we haven't gotten to life vests yet. We haven't gotten to uh, flares and oscillating and, uh, we'll uh, lights. We'll save that for another episode. We'll save that for another it,
1: episode. And it's funny when you move into an airplane and use it a lot. Yeah, you wind up accumulating all this little stuff that you never thought of until you needed it. I know, and people. And then wonder... you got it on the next trip, and and after a year or two, it's like your bloody house or office. Yeah. You go to to sell it or to cl- you know clean it out, and you kind of go, "Wow, I've accumulated a lot of junk." <laughs>
0: and people wonder why their airplanes gain weight when they come to you know reweigh them. All right. Uh let's see now um we're we're this is uh, we're having such a good time here we're getting behind on the list here um uh, a couple things oh. I a couple things from the list I definitely wanted to touch on first quickly um so apparently the NTSB has issued some sort of be the final report on the Hudson ditching uh
2: thing, Jeb, yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um I, I know it's out there. Uh they they did. I um I apparently. didn't look at it in detail. Um there was well, they gigged as, as the NTSB is wont to do, they gig pretty much anybody and everybody that had anything to do with this at one level or another. Um you know they even gigged the pilots for um the the math, the reconstruction and the simulator showed that um they had altitude and energy to turn around and land at LaGuardia. Well um that may or may not have been the case uh um uh, you know the math, the math says they did um okay fine you know they didn't do that what are you going to do yeah um the uh they gigged airbus on uh um some things relative to uh <clears throat> uh how to land the airplane on water and you know whether it would float and all that kind of nonsense um what i didn't see and i didn't i i i need to go back and look for it is they didn't um to my knowledge uh say much about um the uh whether the engines were damaged um irreparably in other words um what happened of course is the the airplane flew into a, a flock of ducks or or geese or uh, probably geese i guess canada geese and um both engines uh, spooled down and or flamed out. Um, There was speculation uh, in the immediate aftermath because of the high level of automation the Airbus uses uh, to run the engines and everything else in the airplane for that matter. uh, There was some speculation as to whether um, a a less automated airplane, cough, cough, Boeing, um, might not have had it suffered a dual flame-out. Um... I don't know if the if the NTSB explored that or not. Uh, I kind of wonder if maybe they should. Um, if, if not, so much from the standpoint of, of a less automated airplane, but perhaps is there a way to to tinker with the software a little bit that um, they could push a button and override uh, uh, the computers and 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 bend the levers, spin the thrust levers over the over the nose uh, um, a little bit and see if they can still get some more power out of it. I don't know. I don't know. That, to me, kind of um, is, is one of the big factors here. Why did the engines, you know, were the engines, in fact, uh, uh, damaged beyond any, any hope of them producing any power? Or did the software just say, hey, you know, this is a situation we're not really prepared to deal with. So uh, for a safety uh, thing, we're going to run home to mama and shut down everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys up front figure it out and call us when you're finished. Um, I, I don't know what the correct answer is here. You know, you get you know you get a couple of geese in the engine, you get innards all over the place. You get you know some sensors get gummed up, maybe, and and uh, maybe who knows? Maybe that's one of the reasons the engines decided to shut themselves down. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I I'd like to see a, a pretty good analysis of some of that, and I I haven't seen it. I'm not saying the NTSB hasn't done it. I just haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, D- uh, David, anything you want to add to this?
1: Well, some of this stuff. Uh, that thought was yeah, 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 okay the yeah. flight crew performed extraordinarily well in, in Monday morning quarterbacking, didn't perform as well as the board could conceive yeah, 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 okay I, 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 yeah, fine uh, requiring some things like an actual Checklist and simulator training for dual-engine failures. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize they didn't have that. Uh, I guess they figured it was so inconceivable it never happened. Ta-da! It happened. Uh, Same way with water ditching with no power. Uh, Some simple common-sense things, like a lot of the passengers... Reported that they had a hard time getting the life vest out and open and on while they were sitting in the seats, so redesigning them to make them actually more functional good thing same way with some of the uh, uh slides that were supposed to serve as as life rafts they didn't work properly um, but at the end of the day it's, I got no room for second-guessing anything that flight crew did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. In looking through here, I didn't see anything addressing U.S. Airways' decision to save some money by taking the tabs out of the P.O.H.
2: Hmm. Hmm. I had so heard that, that story. They okay. took the tabs out of the P.O.H.?
0: Yeah. So it made it slightly harder to find things in the in the hand. a
1: whole lot harder to find things under the pressure of "Oh crap, we've lost both engines. We're going down over over Manhattan. Where are we going to go? We're going to go in the river. Finding anything under those circumstances was remarkable. It's one of the reasons why they didn't really get through the ditching checklist. Uh, that airplane has uh, a water ditching switch that's supposed to close inlets. They never got to Mm -hmm. that part of the checklist because they were never able to start down the water ditching checklist. Mm -hmm. You couldn't freaking find it. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: Obviously, it's available online, the report, uh, and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to take a closer look. And, uh, you know... I don't know. I guess this, this story's, well, I don't know. I was going to say the story is now closed and done, but it probably will never be. We'll be talking about this one for a long time to come. No,
2: we'll be talking about I mean, the, the NTSB made 25 recommendations to the FAA alone. Right. Um, what, seven, and, seven or eight to the European Aviation Safety Agency. Uh, one, one to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Really? Yeah. Um, what, what was to that? To develop and implement, to develop and implement in conjunction with the FAA, innovative technology that can be installed in aircraft that would reduce the likelihood of a bird strike. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, actually, there's
1: some evidence that things like pulse lights are yeah. useful because the uh, the, the uh, irregular illumination uh, actually, you know, gets the birds notice. And uh, well, apparently, you know, wingtip strobes don't work quite the same way.
2: Well, yeah, but the birds kind of sort of have to be looking in that direction. My recollection is the birds were kind of flying off to the northeast, and the airplane was kind of flying off to the northeast.
1: Yeah, they kind of got run
2: into from behind. Yeah, they got, they were overtaken from the rear. Um, um, but, tailgating, uh, they would call that a tailgating. Tailgating, like yes, that. yes. Uh, they were runned over. Um, but um, I I don't know I, I I'm looking at the conclusions here from this. There are 44 separate conclusions that the NTSB reached here. Um, and um
1: Do you you know, it's all, it's like all a very interesting.
2: They, do you almost feel like but, that
1: they 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 looked at this and went, "Wow, this has gotten so much attention, so much publicity.
2: We really got to go places that we normally wouldn't." <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah well yes and no um, th- this this was a tra- um uh, uh, a transport category aircraft this was a scheduled uh, operation this was you know paying passengers um and the the standards um that we've become accustomed to these days is um, you get on the airplane and you're going to get off at the other end at your destination. It might be tomorrow, but you're still going to be able to do it. Um, so, uh, the NTSB has kind of changed over the years from, um, I don't know, accepting the fact that we're going to have some crashes and some accidents and some fatalities to not accepting that. And as a consequence... They dive into uh, um, what some might think of as un- unrelated minutiae. Um, but that's what they're there for. That's what the NTSB is paid to do. Uh, and uh, they, they clearly don't have a whole lot of transport category aircraft falling out of the skies these days. So and they now have the time and, and resources to delve into this kind of detail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we are grateful that this doesn't happen oh, yeah. very often.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: May all your bird strikes be little bitty ones.
0: Moving on, uh, one last item on the list that I really want to touch on because, and this is going to be, I don't know, I I fear this is one of the ones where I'm the only one who feels this way about it, but I'm going to say it anyways, all right? Um, We've got an American Airlines uh, 767 was trying to land in New York at JFK. <laughs> okay. Um, so get to this. Okay. okay. Um, the headline from, uh, from AvWeb is, Pilots Pull Rank, Declare Emergency at JFK. Um, and, and let me see if I can summarize this story, because there's a fairly long description here. All right. So the 767 is arriving to land at JFK. Uh, it is assigned to land on 22 left. Um, It was a very windy, gusty day, and there was a big crosswind. Um, Now, I'm reading between the lines, but as as I understand this whole situation, um, the winds exceeded American Airlines' requirements, rules, for landing this kind of an airplane in that kind of a circumstance. So the pilot, the crew, had to reject that runway.
1: Um, or, or violate Jack, their,
0: their operations. Jack's, okay, go ahead, Jeff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let me let me interrupt you for a second. Um, two two left. Okay, the, the the compass heading for final approach and landing and rollout is two two zero. The winds were reported in this web piece reported as from three twenty, at twenty three knots, gusting to thirty five. In other words, they were a hundred degrees. Off of the runway heading, right. or a very slight tailwind, right at anywhere between twenty three and and thirty five knots. Dude, I don't, I don't know if anybody should be landing in those conditions. In I that understand
0: that life. part. That part I'm fine with. Okay, so now normally what would have happened here is that they wouldn't have been assigned a two-two left. They would have used runway, I believe it's three-one. All right, which is lined mm-hmm. up much better with the mm-hmm. winds. The problem is that JFK has recently closed runway three-one for various well, upgrades and repairs and what. It's unavailable. I mean, it's been marked off. All right, they're not. Well, you got three-one
1: one left and three-one right. Now you've got to set this up. Uh, There's a left and right runway 3-1 there, and 3-1 left, which is the main runway there, is the one that was closed.
0: Okay. Uh, Was the right one open?
1: Right. Yes, it was.
0: The upshot of all this is that the controllers wouldn't give him the runway he wanted because they said it was unavailable for various reasons, okay? Um, So the... Air, the, the, the American Airlines crew decided they were going to solve this problem by declaring an emergency and said, we're landing on 3-1. And, and this has got my dander up because I consider this an abuse of the emergency rule. Uh, I, no. f- I, I feel like this wasn't an emergency. Okay. Um, Assuming there isn't more going on behind the scenes here, assuming these guys arrived at j f k with the the required amount of of fuel in the tanks to go to their alternate right this is a this is a weather minimum situation, and they should have gone to their alternate um mm-hmm. I think the only reason this wasn't you know i mean the 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 pilot is quoted as saying uh it would have been illegal for me to land on two two left, which is maybe true. The point is. Oh uh, no, it absolutely is true. Yes. But, yeah. but the alternative yeah. is not to declare an emergency. The alternative is to go to the alternate airport, all right? This is a this is a low minimums weather situation. Go to your alternate. All right? But they didn't want to go to their alternate, not because there was any danger involved. They didn't want to go to their alternate because they were going to get behind schedule and they were going to have to bust the passengers and people were going to frown at you know, them. Their higher-ups were going to frown at them. All right? This was not an emergency situation. All right, This was a convenient situation, and I feel like well, they abused the emergency rule.
1: Well, I, I understand where you're is, coming why from. Why were not they give him the runway he wanted?
0: As Fine. I understand it, it's because the runway is unavailable for, because of construction.
2: Well, no, what, no, was, what was up with 3-1 right? Okay, well, okay. 3-1 left was the one that was closed, okay, for construction. Um, the captain says, all right, we're going to go to 3-1 right, okay? Understanding that 3-1 uh, uh, left is closed. Um, the, as I understand it, the, the flight landed on 3-1 right, the, the runway that was not closed for construction okay now um you've got a situation where ATC a- is for flow purposes uh he's got everybody lined up for the two twos okay and here comes this seven six that is as if you read some of the um, the comments from from various people who were commenting on this story and on uh, paul Bertarelli's uh um uh blog post. Someone did post in there that the cross max crosswind component in the United, I'm sorry, in the American Airlines seven six manual operating manual is seventeen knots. They were far in excess of that in this instance. That part I'm fine with. So here's the punchline: ATC was not going to clear the seven six to land on any runway other than one of the two twos. Okay. Um, The captain, in such an event, he has a choice. He has three choices. He can accept the clearance knowing that it violates his ops standards, his op manual, and accept the consequences. Maybe there won't be any. Maybe there will be. Okay, that's choice one. Choice two is he can declare an emergency. That obviates him from having to comply with the ops manual and land on one of the two twos. Okay. Choice three. Well, four choices. Choice three, he can go to another airport. Yes. He can go to LaGarbage. He can go to Newark. He can go to Boston. He can go to you know, wherever he's got gas to go. Um, for a variety of reasons that may or may not have been practical, we don't know. We don't know what the operational considerations were in that cockpit at that moment. Okay. Maybe he had to go to the head. We don't know.
0: Well, okay. okay. And, and, and,
1: and maybe here, there's.
2: Is... Here, here's the fourth thing, though. Okay. He can declare an emergency and use his emergency authority. Not only to, to get around the ops, uh, uh, ops manual problem, but while he's declaring an emergency, he's got kind of the run of the table. He can, he can use his emergency authority as pilot-in-command, as captain of this flight, to dictate what he wants to resolve the emergency, okay? And what he wanted was to land 3-1 right, which is, in my book, not coincidentally, probably the safest course of action.
0: So you think it was unsafe for him to go to
2: Newark? I don't know if it was would have been unsafe for him to go to Newark.
0: Based on what we know from this story, there was no emergency. And this is my point. All right.
2: Well, there was no emergency that required him to land at JFK. There's no emergency that that requires him you know, that requires the crash carts and the ambulances and the fire trucks and that kind of thing. No, there wasn't that kind of an emergency. But the the emergency authority granted to a pilot-in-command isn't designed just to resolve a life-and-death situation. As as I pointed out, um, once you declare an emergency, then you have uh, a whole different regulatory environment. You can violate the ops manual okay, and uh, um, do things that the designer... Uh, or the uh, or the operator of the aircraft never really envisioned you doing or or in fact expressly did not want you to do
0: i understand that part all i'm saying is though he wasn't in an emergency situation there was well, no emergency
1: how, we don't know that though. well yeah, Again, I, I, I was going to say, I'm not prepared to go that.
0: Maybe that's true. I'm just talking about based on what we know from these stories, all right? Yeah, if there was something I'm, I'm more going on in based, the background.
1: prepared to go there based on what we know about the story. The, the, yeah. the guy needed the airplane on the ground. He'd made one approach, uh, suitable alternatives, and another approach somewhere else uh, aren't going to be as expeditious yeah. as staying where you are. Exped- and, expedient.
0: Expedient—that's my whole point. An Ex- expediency and expediency is and, not an and emergency. Getting them
1: to give you the runway that you want. Yeah. Now, tra- tra- telling Eric traffic control, "I'm sorry, I don't want that runway," is is what perfectly within our rights. That's right. And it doesn't have to be a freaking emergency to do it. But if it takes an emergency to get them to to wake up, uh, we you, we were talking about bird strikes a little bit. Uh, my only bird strike was on landing at Meridian, Mississippi. I was landing on Runway 4 at Meridian, Mississippi after turning down landing on another runway that was going to put me in about 22 knots a quartering tailwind. Right. The controller in the tower wanted me to take the other runway because the guy that landed on Runway 4 ahead of me drug a wingtip and almost wrecked his airplane because of the proximity of a tree line in very strong crosswinds. But at least it was a crosswind that allowed me to land into the wind, and I insisted on taking it. They even threw the tower manager on the radio and said, you sure this happened, blah, blah, blah. I will take the end of the wind, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We had quite a little discussion. Jack, you sat with me at a restaurant in Florida when they tried three times to change my mind. Okay, they tried twice to change my mind at Meridian about what runway I wanted. Now... If I'd have taken the runway they asked me to take, if this guy had taken the runway they wanted him to take, and he balled it up like that predator down there, then we'd be having another one of these NTSB reports talking about how the flight crew didn't do what they should have in uh-huh. retrospect. So, you know, yeah, the guy had an emergency. He couldn't get through to the controllers, and sometimes that's an emergency.
2: Yeah, the other thing going on here, too, I think, is. This is a seven six Captain. Uh, You don't get to that point by A, being a a firebrand, B, being an asshole, or C, not knowing what the rule book says. Um, Or D, being a shrinking violet. Yeah, or being a shrinking violet. I got to think the guy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly why he was doing it. And he was fully justified in doing it. And that will come out at the hearing.
0: All right. I'm not totally convinced, but you
2: know, I, I know where you're coming from. You, 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 you're saying it is smacks of, of uh, uh, over-exercise of authority, or it is it, yeah. uh, um, uh, a, a, um, um, an emotional reaction to, to maybe you know something the controller said or didn't say or did or didn't do, or something like that. I understand where you're coming from, and, and I, I suspect we haven't heard the last of this uh but what i'm saying is you got to give the captain the benefit of the doubt here for a variety of reasons not least of which is he's going to be the first person at the scene of the accident
0: yep 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 i mean that's true i am uh i'm torn on this i'm really torn well on it, this. It,
1: yeah, it, yeah. jack it it bears pointing out here that when an airline gets its flying papers from the FAA uh they have established a set of operational specifications that the FAA says yep those specifications are cool and you shall operate by them because you say you shall operate by them and those effectively become as legal a document as any of the federal air regulations so if a flight crew violates its own employers operational specifications yeah, no. uh, it's in violation. It's in violation of the FARs. It it is a citable event.
0: I understand that part. I understand that he couldn't land on two two left. I understand he couldn't land on the crosswind la- runway. Um, I just think that there were other choices. There are other options other than using the E word. Well, in
2: in, in you know, I haven't you know dived into the the whole record here. No one really has at this stage. But <clears throat> the guy declared an emergency. Uh, and requested those the and told the controller the solution he wanted to resolve the emergency and it appears and i haven 't listened to the audio yet here, but it appears that the controller let 's just say wasn 't as responsive as the captain might have liked okay um, some traffic may have had to been rerouted i don 't know okay some traffic may have been rerouted i don 't know um but as I recall from reading this piece um the the captain told the controller three times we are declaring an emergency. Give me the runway I want. And basically had to spell it out very slowly for the controller.
0: And I'm with you on that part too. The, the All right. controller
2: I, I, does not seem to have grasped the situation that the e-word conveyed.
0: Yeah. And and that, that part I'm with you on. All right. Once the once the pilot says the e-word. Then everything needs to go into a different gear. I completely agree with that. My issue here is whether it was appropriate for the pilot to use the E word. And this bears more research. So I'll, come, I'll get that. Yeah,
2: I, I agree. It bears a lot more research. We don't know a whole lot right now. This will, uh, this will uh, come out. Yeah. All right. We got to move on
0: here. We got to move on.
2: Shout outs my heart is the beating. captain of American flight uh, <coughs> flight two on on May four Adam, uh,
1: Absolutely. The absolutely. Adrenaline is roaring here. Well, right? If you hadn't done it, I was about to. Yeah, all right, yeah. let's come back
0: to that. Hang on. Um, I want to send a shout out to this Tennessee air park that's underwater. This is just one of the saddest images I've seen in quite some time. Uh, this is an image that's uh, also on AvWeb's uh, flash. Uh, the, uh, Tennessee air park, that's got, uh, airplanes on the ramp that are underwater up to their high wings. Um, low wing airplanes are almost completely underwater. It's just a sad situation. This is all part of this huge flooding that's been going on down in Tennessee. Yeah,
1: water higher than the tied down rings on a 208 caravan. Yeah. So, uh. My my heart goes
0: out to all the folks who uh, have airplanes and operate out of this particular airport. Uh, I'm looking. What's the
2: name of the airport? I don't know. It's Cornelia uh, Fort Air Park outside okay. of Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, very, And if you simple.
1: guys want some tips, there's uh, several airports in Missouri that have had water up to the wing tips of their high wings in uh, in, in the
2: uh, late '90s and early 2000s. Uh, oh, that's the airport at, at Coal Mill that Coal Mill uh, owns. Yeah
1: they can give you some tips on uh getting your airplanes back if your avionics have been underwater uh just call your insurance yeah yeah i know
0: so that's that one um sad sad image it uh, hurts breaks my heart to see that
1: image that picture
0: uh yeah. what do you got david you want to talk about this
1: uh this tour thing the american barnstormers tour uh Going to be heading out June 17 through July 5, as the site says. And this is a a recurring event about every other year. Uh, they got 20 vintage airplanes uh, between the wars, between the world wars, Golden Era airplanes. And they're going to start out in Mason City, Iowa. Uh, cruise through T South Dakota, Watertown, South Dakota, Aberdeen, South Dakota, Bismarck, North Dakota, Jamestown, North Dakota, Alexandria, Minnesota. Uh, And then there's some flying circus dates on the website uh, where it'd be worth dropping in and seeing the vintage airplanes. We'll have a uh, link on the website with the episode. But the American Barnstormers Tour, Something like that came through here about four years ago. Uh, Man, it was a hoot seeing some of these one of a kind, like a Travel Air Four. Not one of a kind, but rare enough that you feel like you're seeing the only one you'll ever see, like a Travel Air Four Thousand. Really cool stuff. So, good luck to them.
2: I hope they get good weather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got one more before we move on.
0: Okay, Jeb, why don't you go ahead?
2: Okay, um, Charlie Culp, uh, also oh, known as Yeah, why do I know the that? Flying, name? the flying farmer, uh huh, who has literally for decades, forty years, and a thousand Sundays, as as according to this AOPA article, since the act began in 1971. Um Charlie Culp has done his flying farmer routine. This is the if you're not familiar with this, this is the country bumpkin who accidentally gets into the airplane with the engine running and and the instructor's uh standing on the ground or something like that and the airplane takes off. Mm-hmm. And uh you know does the whoopty doos and this is you know they use a cub or something like that to, to do this. Um, Charlie Culp retired supposedly um, a year or two ago. Um, but uh um, they uh he's going to come back for one last show uh july 18 of this year at the bealton virginia flying circus um this is a a, bealton is a private uh, grass strip uh outside dc it's it's um between uh warrenton and uh, washington dc um they have a lot of, uh, of antique uh, and or uh, remanufactured uh, biplanes, or I should say, reproduced uh, 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 biplanes that they do a lot of uh, air show routines in and whatnot. Um, they're gonna, he's going to do this routine one last time. Um, and uh, according to the AOPA uh, um, uh, story here, um, <clears throat> the, the Flying Circus, the Bilton Virginia Flying Circus, is hosting the performance. As a kickoff fundraiser to begin construction of a new hangar to become the museum's home. When completed, it will house a permanent collection of aviation artifacts and documents, temporary educational exhibits, and aircraft active in the circus shows. The estimated cost for the museum is $500,000. Um, we'll, uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. and It uh, um, uh, should, be, should be a good time had by all, and, and especially hats off to Charlie Cole for coming back and At- doing this one more time.
1: Absolutely. And this
2: is a this is a weekend thing all summer long, folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh the the Beaton fam uh, so flying so- circus is, in the summer months uh is, is a weekend Saturday, Sunday thing. Uh you know, I, I'm not sure about the Saturday thing, it's definitely a Sunday thing. Check you know, you check your local listings as they say. Yeah.
1: Cool.
2: But it runs runs generally every Sunday
1: and some other dates, weekend dates through the end of October. If you are even remotely close. Uh, a, a day at Bealton watching the Flying Circus, it's like taking a time machine trip back to the 1920s. That sounds great. Very good. That sounds great, yeah.
0: I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Steve Tupper and the entire gang over at Acro Camp, which is happening uh, later this week. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, Wednesday morning I leave and I head out to Michigan, and I'm going to uh, uh, be an observer and kind of a groupie and hang out at uh, AcroCamp. AcroCamp is the uh, four-day intensive... Uh, uh, training session for uh, four lucky individuals who were selected to uh, get a, uh, a sort of intense uh, aerobatics training course uh, out there at uh, Pontiac, uh, I think it's at Oakland Municipal Airport. Um, and the whole thing is going to be uh, video recorded from just about every different angle for a documentary that uh, that Steve, uh, along with uh, Will Hawkins and others are putting together and it 's just going to be a blast i 've a couple of different times i 've called it uh, woodstock for pilots uh, there 's just a bunch of us who are gathering up there to uh, to watch this thing, and of course, the four lucky uh, so called campers uh, are going to uh, just get a total immersion uh, four day thing in uh, aerobatics flying uh, so uh, It's going to be a lot of fun, and if anybody's interested, there's going to be a lot of blogging that goes on, live blogging. Uh, If you want to follow what's going on, it's acrocamp.com. Also, if you're on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, Certainly follow me. Uh, Dave Allen is going to be there. Will Hawkins is there. Steve Tupper, of course, is there. Um, You can either follow us as individuals, or uh, if you know Twitter, you know what a hashtag is, and they're just using the hashtag AcroCamp. So uh, you can uh, track down what's going on up there uh, over the next few days. It was going to start on Wednesday, but the weather is a little dicey earlier in the week, so they pushed it a day, and it'll now go Thursday through Monday. Uh, and It's going to be a blast. I can't wait. I can't wait. Anything else? Good luck to him. Good luck to him. Yes? No? Okay. I'm out of beer. All right. Time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside uh, is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet?
2: You make that sound so special. I know.
0: I know. I've been practicing.
2: Yeah, apparently so. Um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, JEBurnside.com, occasionally on AppWeb.
0: Whoa, you were fast tonight. You've been practicing, too. Dave Higdon is uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you and all of your different personalities on the net?
1: Oh, Hmm. Uh, DaveHigdon.biz, AvBuyer.com, AVA.net, Google me and throughout the physics and the uh, golf writers, and uh, uh, what's left over is probably mine.
0: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Royce Earl and to the many other listeners who have created our show opening disclaimer clips. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, web page of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something?
1: The best way to get old and crotchety like Jeb and me is to go fly because time spent flying is not subtracted
2: from your light span.
0: So long, sonny. That's enough talking. Let's go flying.
2: I resemble that remark. Come back and see us sometime.